Well, good morning. It's good to have each of you with us. If you've got your Bible, we're going to begin in the book of Psalms, chapter 124. Psalms 124 in just a moment. Wonderful way we praise God this morning. And whether you've had a good week, whether you've had a crazy week, whether your week's been inside out, whether it's just been a wonderful week, we come to praise the Lord. And what an honor that is to do that. We praise Him for who He is. We praise Him for what He has done. We praise Him for what He's going to do. And all that reminds us of how important it is to be here on the best day of the week, and that's Sunday. And we're glad you could be with us. On the front page of our bulletin, if you haven't grabbed that yet, there's all kinds of things coming down the pike here this summer. Things and opportunities for you to grow, to learn, to connect. And again, we would encourage all of you to kind of participate in all of those things. There was a very old poem written back in the 1600s, 1624, if I remember right, by the English poet John Donne. And he wrote this poem that says, No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And what he meant by that poem was, all of us are connected. And all of us need each other. The doctor needs a mechanic. The mechanic needs the doctor. The banker needs the pilot. The pilot needs the banker. All of our lives are just interwoven together. There's no man who's isolated on the island and says, I need nobody and no one. And we see that all through life, especially with this little word we call help. Little bitty babies we have in this building this morning. The beautiful, cute, but they cry out for help. I am hungry and mom doesn't say, well, get up and go to the kitchen. No, a little baby can't do that. A baby needs help. In all of our life, we need help. We need help to learn how to tie our shoes. We need help to learn how to ride a bicycle, how to drive a car. All of our lives, we need help. And then if you're a grandparent, you need help figuring out that new phone you got. You hand it to your grandchild and say, here, figure this out. And we've seen those commercials on TV, help, I've fallen, I can't get up. All of us need help. And throughout our lives, there are parents and coaches and teachers and mentors and tutors to kind of help us get through those things. What we're going to talk about today is how God helps you. We are, believe it or not, almost halfway through this year already. Our theme this year is to finish what was started. And this quarter, which was almost done already, we're talking about the steps that will help you finish. How do I finish what I started? How do I complete what was began in Jesus Christ? And so today we're going to focus on how we get help from heaven. God doesn't just say, figure it out on your own. God doesn't leave you on your own. God does a series of things that's going to help you get to heaven. And so let's just walk through some passages to kind of illustrate this concept. Way back in the book of Exodus, when Israel was still in Egyptian bondage, the Bible there says, Now it came about in the course of many, those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. They cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. We need help, and God sent help. We remember the book of Matthew when Peter was walking on the water, and he started to sink. And but seeing the wind, he became frightened, began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. 
Lord, help me. We remember the synagogue official who appeared before Jesus and his daughter was dying. And he said, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. I need help is what he said. We think about the synagogue official who appeared before Jesus and her, de- her daughter was severely demon-possessed. And the disciples wanted to send her away because she kept uh, shouting out to them. And then in verse 25, she began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. Help me. The psalmist would say in Psalm chapter 18, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and out of my cry for help before him came into his ears. Help from heaven. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. In Psalms 146, notice two times very early this expression is used. It says, had it not been for the Lord who is on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been for the Lord who is on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. Sounds like a big old snake, doesn't it? Just swallowing alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. Sounds like a flood. The stream would swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Sounds like a wild animal. Or our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. There's a trap. The snare is broken and we escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I want us to understand this morning that there are certain things only God can do for you. And there are certain things that we need God's help. We live in a society where we say, I don't want anybody to help me. I've got my life. I'm okay. I don't need anybody. That is not true biblically. In the book of Romans, in chapter 5, he again reminds us of how much we need the help of God. Notice the three major expressions he says. He says, while we were still helpless, he says, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. While we were yet sinners, we were helpless, we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we are saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, helpless sinners, enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled through, uh, uh, reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Helped by God. Four things I'm going to share with you this morning. How heaven helps you. Number one, heaven helps you by revealing the heart of God, the word of the, the Bible. The word of God is revealing God's heart. And we need to see that the Bible is more than just pages in a book. It's more than the old book. It is the heart of God revealed. The apostle would say it this way in Corinthians. He says, for to us, God revealed him through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Just stop there for a minute. What are you thinking about right now? I can look at your faces and say, well, I think Micah right now is wondering where the sermon's going. But I may be off. Micah may be thinking, why did I eat a Pop-Tart for breakfast? I don't know. You see, we can look at each other and say, you know, I know what you're thinking. And we can guess. 
And husbands and wives do that all the time. Honey, I know what you're thinking. We might get it right. We might not. What this passage says, nobody knows what's going through your mind except you. So what is God thinking about? Well, we can guess again. I think God is smiling. I think God's looking at Ukraine right now. I think God's over here. What is God thinking? Nobody knows except God. And so as the passage goes on, he says in verse 11, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we receive not the spirit of the word, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. What the Bible is, is the mind of God. What's God like? Is God moody? Does God have bad days? Is God happy? Is God stern? Reading the Bible is a look into the heart of God. That's what he's describing there. Verse 13 of this passage, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Over here in the book of Romans, in chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What has God done for you? Number one, he's given you the tools to save you. Able to save you. Mark chapter 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. God didn't say, you got yourself in this mess, figure it out. God didn't say, well now, I don't know what you're going to do, but you did that, you have to get out. God gave us the avenue out, and that's through Jesus Christ. Also reminds us that these words are able to change your souls. Turn with you, if you will, to the book of Colossians, if you will. Colossians chapter 3. And notice in Colossians chapter 3 how the apostle says this. Again, God's help. Why is it that some people have a nice character? Why is it some people have a mean character? Why is it some are nice? Why is it some are nasty? Some follow God and some don't. So here in Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 1, If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. It is on account of these things the wrath of God will come, and in them you once walked, and you were living in them. And a lot of people would just stop and say, well, that's just the way I am. Born that way, living that way, that's the way daddy was, that's the way grandpa was, and that's just the way I am. Take it or leave it. No, it doesn't say that. Because it begins by saying in verse 6, in verse 7, as he talks about living in them, but now, verse 8, you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who is created in him. And then he says in verse uh, 13, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, well, whoever has a complaint against one another, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. What's he saying? You can change. You can change. You can be a stingy old tightwad and come to Jesus and you can learn to be gracious and generous. 
You can be somebody so black and white that I'm going to throw the book at you, and if you say one thing even halfway wrong, out with you. You can learn to be gracious and forgiving just like God. And what these verses are saying is, you can change. Now, how does that happen? You don't go to therapy class. You don't read some self-help books. You get into the mind of God. And God shows you this is what happens. And then it's also able to make you stand for what is right. Hebrews chapter 5 talks about the, the, the mature who discerns between what is right and wrong. He understands these things. And through the Bible, you understand that God is not far away. Through the Bible, you understand that God provides a way of escape with every temptation. Through the Bible, you understand that God is there to help you. And so through this, it builds faith in your heart. And through this, it develops a character in your heart. And through this, it leads to, to courage in your heart, to be in the way that God wants you to be. How important that is to see that. Now, why doesn't God help us? Look at this Romans 1 verse 16 passage. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God. If you got a Bible to underline, you'll underline that. It was the power of God that separated the Red Sea. It was the power of God that made the sun stand still in Joshua's day. It was the power of God that opened prison doors for Peter. It was the power of God that shut the mouths of lions when Daniel faced them. It was the power of God that kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from being burned alive in a fiery furnace. God doesn't help me. He's given you his power. You got an addiction? God can deal with that. You got a stinky marriage? God can deal with that. You got habits you need to get rid of? God can deal with that. You have the power of heaven. Do you see that? How impressive that is. Now I want to say something on the side point here. A lot of us use electronic Bibles. Not a problem. I was reading from my tablet last night some Bible verses. A lot of you right now have your Bible on your phone. Great. Not a problem with that. But when you look at these two people, and in fact, if you look at the chairs, it almost look like they're in the same place. We walked in and saw this guy on the left side. What's he doing? Well, maybe texting, maybe playing a video game, maybe listening to music, maybe talking to somebody, maybe reading his Bible. I don't know. He's just on his phone. Anytime you fly in the airport, every single person has their phone out right here in their face. Now, when you look at the guy over here, what's he doing? Well, he's reading the Bible. How do you know he's not reading Tom Clancy? Because there's no book that looks like this book on the outside. No book looks like this book on the inside. Nothing wrong. Now, don't, don't leave thinking Brother Rogers against electronics. Nothing wrong with that. But every once in a while, isn't it good just to take this old book out so people can see it? Because when I look at this guy, I don't know what he's doing. But I look at that guy and said, look at that. That guy's reading his Bible. And maybe once in a while, it'd be good for us just to take this out in an airport or at work or different places just to let the world know I am a reader of the power of God. You see that? Something just to kind of store away and think about when you consider that. Number two, sharing his people, the fellowship of the godly. How does God help me? Fellowship. 
This idea of helping one another, putting people in our lives that are so important to us. Run through some verses here with me. Psalms 122, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. When they said, let's worship together. Let's do these things together. There's a power and there's a strength in such things as that. Hebrews chapter 13, it says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. And considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Remember those who walked with God. Remember how important that was. When we think about 1 Timothy, the young Christian, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but in rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. As he talked about the shepherds in 1 Peter chapter 5, nor yet lorded over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. Examples. Living examples in this room. Living examples of moms and dads who are raising their kids in a godly way. Living examples of marriages that's been lasting and good and thriving as God wants it to be. Living examples of those who have been through the worst. But fear has not conquered them. Worry has not destroyed them. They have been through all kinds of things and they have been surviving because of this. In your Bible, turn with me if you would to book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's notice here verse 5 and 6, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 and 6. It says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. Stop right there. Bothered on the outside, bothered on the inside. Work problems, health problems. Family problems, emotional problems. That's where Paul was. I'm bothered. Well, what's bothering you? Inside, outside, everywhere I'm bothered. Verse 6, God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. Heaven helps. You needed some help. And what happens today is, well, I don't feel like going to worship. Why? Because I got problems. I don't feel like going to worship because things aren't going well in my life. I prayed about that, and they're still there. God said, I got the answer to your problem. Get around God's people. Get around God's people and look at those faces. Look at those people who've been through all kinds of stuff. Look at those people who've buried mates, buried children. Look at those people who've been through all kinds of trials and troubles. And here they are singing praise to God. You see that? Why doesn't heaven help me? He does. What we want is the problem to go away. And in this passage, Paul never says, those things outside, gone. Those things inside, gone. No, he didn't. He said, I sent you Titus. I sent you Titus. And that's what you need. Young people, you need a Titus. Old people, you need a Titus. You need somebody in your life that's going to remind me I made a promise to Jesus. I need somebody in my life to keep me centered where I need to be. And again, help by heaven. Number three, Miss Judy, this is your point, okay? Miss Judy asked me to talk about the Holy Spirit. I said, I'm going to give you one point in my sermon. But here it is. Empowering his spirit. His spirit works with our spirit. And again, this is help from heaven. And so the book of Romans, chapter 8, we're going to look at three places here. Romans chapter 8, begin verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, 
through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. About three times in this one passage, the spirit dwells in me. Now, what does he do? Does he give me a feeling? I woke up this morning, I never felt this way. No, it's not that way. I tried to go to a bar last night, and the door just wouldn't open. Because the Spirit wouldn't. No, Spirit doesn't keep you from temptation. Spirit doesn't give you feelings. Let's read on here, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, years ago, light years ago, when me and Abe Lincoln were in school together, that's about how long it was, you know, you'd have these make tests in your school book, and, and it's particularly math. Here's this problem, and you're supposed to work it out, and then you could go to the very back of your book, and there was the answer. And you, you'd work your problem out, and then you'd look back there and say, oh, I got that right. I, I understand this. Or you'd look at this and say, oh, my answer's not right. The Spirit... It's testifying with your spirit that you're walking with God. How does he do that? You check it in the book. In your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 John, if you will. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things, John says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. How do you know you have eternal life? Oh, it's like being in love. You just feel it. No, that's not what the Bible says. How do you know you have eternal life? Duh, I'm in a church building. No, that's not the answer. How do you know you have eternal life? I can tell you the books of the Bible in order. Wrong answer. How do I know? When I read what he wrote, I look at the answer in the back, and I look at my life, what I wrote down. If they match, I have eternal life. That's how you know. The Spirit helps us with these things. Once again now, book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps with our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What the Spirit does, he helps us pray. You ever been in a situation where all you can think of is help? I don't know how to pray this prayer, Lord. I don't know which way to pray. I don't know what, what I should pray about. All I can say is, Lord, I need some help. The Spirit understands. His Spirit and our Spirit work together in that. A second thing we notice about this in the book of John, chapter 16, and verse 8, is that when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He convicts us of sin. That's how the Spirit works with your conscience. That's why God gives you guilt and God gives you shame. Is that when you've got the Word of God in your life, you say, you know what, I probably shouldn't have said that. And He's working with you. 
Or you know what? I should have went over and helped somebody. Somebody asked me if I had to help them, and I just walked away from them. That wasn't the right thing to do. How, why do I feel that way? Because the Spirit is working with my conscience in these things. And then we see that the Spirit guides us. Notice in the book of Galatians, these three expressions here. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit. Now, all of this is going to be in conjunction with the Word of God. The Spirit is not going to take you anywhere different than the Word of God. Somebody does not say, well, I don't need the Bible because I got the Spirit. Wrong. The Spirit works through the Word of God. They work together, and they help us. But to see that this is help from heaven. And then finally, you get help because God grants us this day, another day, another opportunity to praise Him and to honor Him. Again, we look in our Bibles in the book of Psalms 118. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The apostle would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God has helped us. I want us to see that heaven is doing all it can do to save you. Now, I've got to ask myself, am I taking advantage of this? I've got this book, but do I ever open it? I've got a fellowship. Do I hardly ever participate with that? I've got the idea that the Spirit's with me, but do I even pray? And do I realize that this day could be my last day? Do I take advantage of that? Now, I've got to tell you a story. And unlike my kids when they were little, this is a real story. They every once in a while said, Dad, that really happens at one of your preacher stories. This is a real story. It's a little bit long. There's four names. I'm going to try to keep you from getting confused about these. But the powerful, powerful story about what we just talked about. The first name is a man by the name of James Barber. He goes by the name of Jimmy. He spells it J-I-M-I. And Jimmy was a contractor who lived in Connecticut. He moved to Alabama, started dating a lady. And in Jimmy's own words, one night, he spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars smoking crack cocaine, he drank a case of beer and took handfuls of prescription pills. The second lady, or second name, is Dorothy. Jimmy was dating Dorothy's daughter. Jimmy was doing work in Dorothy's house. After Jimmy consumed all that illegal substance, Jimmy went to Dorothy's house that night, got a hammer, and hammered her to death. Jimmy was arrested. He was sent to Alabama prison. He committed a very, very grievous crime. The third name is Sarah. And Sarah was Dorothy's granddaughter. And Sarah just loved her grandmother. Her grandmother was the center of her life. And when her grandmother died, Sarah fell apart. She too went to all kinds of alcohol and drug problems, in and out rehabs, all kinds of issues. One day she's driving down the road and she heard this song on the radio, talked about writing a letter. And she was going to write a letter to Jimmy. But between that, something else had happened. While Jimmy was in prison, the prison TV 
didn't work. And Jimmy admits that this isn't right, but he said he was bored. And so being bored, he just grabbed one book that was available to all prisoners, and that's the Bible. He read it cover to cover. He immediately turned around and read it a second time. And he realized God was giving him a second chance. He realized that Jesus died for his sins. He asked the warden if he could have permission to be immersed for the remission of his sins, according to what I read in Acts chapter 2. And he was baptized. He's a New Testament Christian. Now, he's never worshiped with the saints. He's never sang with the saints. He's never been part of a church because he's in prison. He's never taken the Lord's Supper because he's in prison. Sarah, a third name, or a second name I give you, third name. Sarah, the granddaughter, wrote this letter. And she told Jimmy, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of hating you. I'm tired of being focused on this crime. I'm tired of wanting you to die. And in her letter, she said, I forgive you. Jimmy got the letter, and he was afraid to open it. He, he recognized the name because he was dating somebody in the family. He knew the family. And he thought for sure the letter was going to say just rot in prison or something like that. But he read it, seeing that the granddaughter was extending forgiveness. Jimmy said that other than the day he was baptized, getting that letter was the greatest day of his life. He wrote Sarah back, saying he can't remember a lot of the crimes because he's so whacked out on drugs. But he's so, so sorry. Sarah wrote him back. There's even been some phone exchanges between the two. Now the fourth name, how I got the story, was a man by the name of Van Cooper. Van is an elder shepherd in a little bitty church in Alabama called Black Creek Church of Christ. And it's a small church, mostly older members. But Van does prison ministry. And he's connected with Jimmy. In fact, he drives 225 miles one way to have a study with inmates. Jimmy's story came out last month in Atlantic Monthly, and it was entitled simply, A Murder Forgiven. The last time they met, last Saturday, Van says because of situations in the prison, Jimmy's behind an iron door, and the little slot you pull down to stick the food in, he had to pull the slot down, and that's the only way he could talk to Jimmy for about an hour. In 39 days, July 20th, the state of Alabama is going to execute Jimmy. Jimmy is not looking for appeals. He's not begging for his life. He realizes, I've done wrong. I deserve what's going to take place. Van asked him last Saturday, how are you dealing with this date? July 20th is coming. He said, they cannot take heaven away from me. I wrote a jump start. It's coming out this coming Thursday about that. And Van took it down to him yesterday. And in the course of time, I've written two or three more times to Jimmy. Here is somebody in prison without a preacher, without booklets, without a Bible class, who just read his Bible. All he did was read the Bible. And he realized, I can do what this book says. That's the power of the gospel. It still works today. It still works today. 
This lesson also teaches me about the graciousness of God. There may be some of us who may say, you know what? I really have a hard time thinking that Jimmy could be in heaven with me. You shouldn't think that way. God forgives all of us. And we need to see how gracious our God is. We see in here a lesson about how hard forgiveness is. Sometimes people have done things to us and we think, I will never, ever, ever, ever forgive them. But here's somebody who did that. And here's somebody who God has touched through prison walls to become a New Testament Christian, just like you and just like me. I'm going to be thinking a lot about this July 20th date. I ask you to say a prayer for Jimmy. I cannot imagine realizing I've got 39 days left on this planet and nothing can be done about that. But Jimmy's not fighting it. Jimmy's not one who says, you know what, this is unfair. It is totally fair. He realizes he's done wrong and these are the consequences. Consequences even happen after you are forgiven and he sees that. But what a powerful lesson for us in this audience to realize this Bible still works. To understand that it can change lives and understand that our God still forgives and he can forgive what we may think is the worst kind of sins and what we see through this is we can learn to forgive when we have this hope in jesus christ what an incredible story what an incredible story but more than that what an incredible god a god who's given us his word a god who's given us his promises a god who's given us the hope that we have in heaven and that's why I wanted you to see. God helps you. God helps you. And may we see how important that is for all of us. As we journey through this life, you do not journey alone. When you think, go through a, a tough period of your life, you think, you know what? There's no way out. Heaven helps you. And to take that advantage and to do the things that God wants you to do. This morning, if we can be of any help to you, maybe you're like Jimmy. Maybe you look at your life and say, you know what? There is no way God can forgive me. He forgave the Apostle Paul. He forgave me. He can forgive you. And what we need to see is what a great opportunity. We get to sing with the saints. Jimmy can't do that. We get to fellowship with the saints. Jimmy can't do that. We don't have a date coming up in 39 days where we are expected to die. Jimmy does. What a blessing this is for us to be a part of the family of God, to praise him. If we can help you in any way, won't you come? Let's stand as we sing.